Welcome to This Is Not A Meeting. We are a community talking about sobriety, recovery, and overcoming challenges every single day. We do not claim to be experts. We are walking this journey with you and just trying to become our best selves. I am Scottage. Around the table, we have... Big Joe. Jimbo. And we're just sitting here around the table here today. We've got uh, something super exciting for you. Uh, we were able to have an interview with a gentleman named Zach Gowan, and we are we are pumped. We we uh, we we were able to have this interview, and and to be able to bring it to you is such such a cool thing for us. We were talking with Michael Sorg, and uh, Sorg is a, is a really he's a huge podcaster here in Pittsburgh, and. Uh, he owns a company called Sorgatron Media. He does all kinds of, of digital media and production. He and his wife run the Pittsburgh PodCamp. He's just he's very much in tune with with what's going on in in this world in this in this city. And he runs a podcast called the Wrestling Mayhem Show. As we were talking to him, we we said, "Hey, do you think there's anybody that that might be willing to come on to our show and and talk to us?" And he said, "Yeah, you know what? Give Zach a call." He said, talk, talk to Zach, because Zach, this is actually what Zach is doing now, is he's, he's going around and he, he speaks. Sorg, we are so appreciative of you, of you putting us in contact with Zach. It was an awesome interview. Zach, for some of his background, just in case if you don't know the name, you may know him. He is a professional wrestler. He spent some time with the WWE. He spent some time with the other wrestling organizations that are out there. But what makes him unique on that circuit is that he has one leg. When he was eight years old, he uh, developed some some issues. They found out that it was cancer in his leg. They had to take the leg. And uh, so growing up from the age of eight, he lived with one leg, but always had the desire and the dream to become a professional wrestler. He took that dream, he made it happen, and uh, made it to just the pinnacle. He made it to the, to the WWE at a, at a pretty young age. Yeah, I think he said he started his professional career at like 18. By the time he was 19, he was already at the big time. So right, which is unheard of. Yes, big time. To, I think he spent eight months in the amateur circuit before the, before the WWE grabbed him. And a lot of that had to do with, with him having one leg. I mean, there, there's some, you know, you stand out when you have that kind of a difference. Yeah, he even talks about where he was and still is the only professional wrestler with one leg. That's right. That's definitely going to set you apart. And it doesn't take away any of the athletic ability or skill. I mean, you still have to have all of that stuff. And he's, in, he's incredibly talented on that level. Uh, part, of, part of Zach's story, though, is the recovery and sobriety side. Um, as much as he had a, had a meteoric rise to stardom with with the wwe he went out in a flash as well uh because of the stuff that he got involved with and so he he hit that pinnacle but he was gone all you know the, one of the, those overnight successes yeah yeah i mean he was he was there for a while i think that he was there for a year or two but but at the same time it's that the the climb was just as steep as the fall on the on the other side and he went, he went, he talks with us about that in this interview. As you listen to the interview, one of the things that you're going to hear is, is a lot of the Skype flack, I guess, <laughs> for a better way to say it. Um, the, the audio, when you're, when you're running a data cell signal and, and you're on the road as he was, they had, he was with his, uh, tag team partner, Gregory Iron, who is the other, um, 
kind of unique wrestler on the circuit because he has cerebral palsy. He's the only professional wrestler with cerebral palsy. So the two of them tag up, and and they had just come back from having won the tag team title uh, out there in, in Michigan. So he's on the road, he's back, and, and we have this Skype interview with him. So the audio is a little bit off, and we apologize for that, but but it was the best that we could do. The message is definitely worth listening to, though. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely listen to it. It's not... It's not horrible. I just want to let you know that it, it does have some quality issues. So we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and start this interview uh, and and let you listen to it. We hope you get just as much out of it as we did. Uh, Zach is, was a, was awesome and gracious and open and vulnerable and uh, just a super cool guy. We really think you're gonna like him. Zach, why don't you fill the listeners in basically on your rise in the wrestling community and kind of where it's brought you out today. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, and thanks for having me on your show. So what makes my story unique is the fact that I lost my left leg to cancer at eight years old. Um, and despite that handicap or challenge or obstacle, uh, I became the world's first one-legged professional wrestler at 18 years old. And then due to the inherent marketability of a one-legged professional wrestler, I was signed a WWE contract at 19 years old. Um, had a little run there inspired a lot of people was able to was able to be given a platform to share my story and carry a message of hope um and uh and, and that's what i'm pretty much most known for in terms of professional wrestling um from there i did, I did american ninja warrior last year and currently i'm a full-time inspirational speaker when i go to schools and i carry a message of hope to these uh to these kids who need to hear it that is awesome and we'll dive further into some of those details that we just touched on but the main thing that I'm always fascinated by was your rise. It seems like becoming a professional wrestler at 18 years old. And then within an eight month window, you're with the biggest company in the universe. How are you even able to keep an ego in check at that point? You must've felt invincible. Yeah. Well, I didn't feel it's funny. It's interesting. I'm not a lot of people understand the psyche, um, or the, uh, kind of psycho dynamic, that I was uh, found myself in, which was in terms of ego and emotional stability, I wasn't mature enough to receive that gift. You know, I hadn't worked hard enough. Um, I hadn't paid enough dues to really appreciate and understand what was being handed to me. So you have, you have, you have, you know, you have a big contract and you're on television and you're kind of living that life, uh, which is fun in some aspects. But in other aspects, it's absolutely terrifying and it's paralyzing because you have all the pressures um, of live television. You have the pressures of working shoulder to shoulder with your heroes. And inside, I felt like I wasn't ready to be there and I felt less than or not good enough. And so I acted out on the other end of the spectrum in terms of like I try to compensate for my feelings of insecurity by acting more than or better than you know and then everyone's like oh wow i was like oh wow zach is such an ego he's such a piece of crap you know all this stuff and, and he thinks he's so much better than everybody and inside i'm like no you don't understand i think i don't think i'm good enough to be here <laughs> like, like, like this is how this is it, but but it was so it was like this weird like two ends of the spectrum going on at the same time um and it was uh it, it 
mostly it was uncomfortable really the whole my whole experience at wwe was was pretty uncomfortable um but sprinkled in with some amazing moments and some um you know uh, uh amazing um uh yeah moments that i can look back now and really appreciate the kind of uh the kind of moments that, that i was that i went through or and stuff like that but uh, but overall, just kind of like the overall feeling was pretty anxiety-inducing and uncomfortable. If you could play the tape over again, would you have trudged the road in the minor leagues for a couple more years to get your skill set where you wanted it and have it play out a different way? Or is there no regrets? There's, We don't wish to regret the past or nor forget it. But if you could do it again, would you do it in a different way? Or are you happy the way things played out? My life now has never been better in hmm. terms of... Um, terms of my relationship with with myself and god and the people around me and my place in life so i so i'm grateful for everything you know that happened to get me to this point but if you just look at it in 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 a vacuum yeah for sure i would have definitely um changed a a few things but i then but then again i don't know if it's uh if, if there was any any hope for me in terms of how how my wiring was and how uh uh my my perspective on life you know, at that time, I, I don't know if that, I don't even know if even a few years in the Indies or paying my dues or, or that, I, I don't know if that would have even helped to be honest with you. But, uh, but who, yeah, who's to say, you know, uh, I hate that saying everything happens for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my sayings. <laughs> yeah, I hate it. I think it's dumb. <laughs> I think it's stupid. <laughs> uh, but I, but I think, I, I think as long as we wake up and, and we're breathing and we have the gift of life, I think it's our responsibility to find meaning in everything, you know, mm, um, right. and that's that's kind that's kind of up to us and uh, and and what we do in terms of our action. Can I backtrack here just for a moment? When you got into the big time of the WWE, and you basically have the one leg and that's basically what you're gonna be, not the shtick, but that's the character you're gonna play. In going back and doing the research for the interview and watching some of the video and the footage, obviously you're playing a character, but some of those personal attacks of being called an amputee, a gimp, you're worthless, all those things, hearing them over and over again, are you in on those meetings and like fully on board with that type of like, okay, we're just going to attack Zach for a half an hour tonight, all about his amputee. Are you okay with that? Or was that just, hey, I'm in the big time. This is what it's going to take. Yeah, I, I, I get asked that from time to time. And uh, it, that was never a thought in terms of like being insulted or my feelings hurt by what was said about me. I, I, I just I saw that as part of the show and I could I could separate, you know, from the show from real life. You know, like if, if I was in the back getting ready for my match and John Cena walked up to me and called me a gimp, <laughs> like that would, be, <laughs> that would be a little different. Uh, but but in terms of like what we're trying to do in terms of storyline and then get the reaction from the crowd. It was, uh, it was, I was totally fine with all of that. Were, hey, hey, Zach, were there any feelings that you had to, that maybe connected at all with that stuff? Like from growing up, you know, you, the, the leg was taken when you were eight years old. So kids aren't always kind, you know? Um, were there any type of feelings that, you, that maybe connected that you had to, that you had to deal with? Or was it just, you just automatically were able to separate that stuff? Yeah, not really. It was it was just kind of punching in and going to work, and there was never any second thoughts about it. Um, and you know, you got to think in the in, in the universe of professional wrestling, the more devastating um, the bad guy is, 
the better it is for the good guy when he when he comes up in, in the end, you know. Right. And uh, and so so yeah, when you put it in, the, in kind of that context, I was totally okay with it. And growing up with one leg, kids weren't mean to me at all. Like um, I, I grew up in a fantastic community. Uh, everyone was super supportive. I wasn't bullied. I wasn't picked on. Um, I certainly felt different and ugly and defective just, you know, just from a, from uh, on the inside. Right. Um, I felt different. I felt different, but, and then, um, it was tough when, uh, you know, you go to Kroger or you go to, you know, you go grocery shopping or you go to, uh, anywhere out in public with, with, you know, with your family and then kids are curious. So they stop and they stare and they point and they ask questions. Hmm. And, um, it was weird. Like, now I embrace that, and I and I really like that, and I like talking to kids, and I like and, and it's and parents make it weird. This is what I found out: parents make it weird. <laughs> like, like they'll like hush their kids and like shuffle them away and stuff, and then put this weird energy on it, you know. And then the kid feels confused. Like, should I not ask questions? Like, obviously something's different, you know. Um, and so, so I find it, yeah. So my mom, so my mom would act weird when kids would point and stare at me huh. and then, but you know, with her doing that, that made me feel weird. You know, that <laughs> kind of made things work. And it's funny too, growing up and I promise I'm, I'm only going to do another, uh, 37 minutes on how bad, uh, of, of a mother my mom was, but, <laughs> but she, and that's, and that's not true at all. My mom was, was like, my mom's the most heroic, like, like, wonderful you talk about trials and tribulations i've gone through nothing compared to what she's gone through and she's she's my she's my hero and that's and that's that's a that's a that's a a real yeah that's a real real thing and i I wouldn't be here without her and her support to this day in terms of you know child care and and um and and other ways that she supports supports you know our our little crew but um but but growing up she would because my dad was an alcoholic and addict uh, and it was, he was abusive and he took off when I was four. Um, so when I'm four years old, he takes off. And, uh, and so my mom's like, all right, well, you know what? We're not going to, um, I'm not going to have Zach be exposed to drinking and drugs. And so there was never any booze in the house. There was never any, uh, uh remnants or, or, or evidence of any sort of drug use, her idea was to shield me my entire life. And then, so if I don't, if I never saw it, there's no way I could pick it up, you know? Um, that and so that obviously, work though, right? obviously it didn't because we're, ha- <laughs> we're, we're having this conversation now, you know? Um, but it's just funny, you know, she was just trying to do the best she could and there's, there's, just, there's no feelings of resentment or anything like that toward her. Um, but it's just funny how, how parents can make it, you know, even in their best intentions, kind of make it worse for kids you know totally understandable so let's kind of dive into that if you don't mind a little bit further when you mentioned a while ago where you always internally felt ugly or different than your peers what how early on did drugs and alcohol start playing a factor in your life so i i, I got high and drunk for the first time when i was 16 and um it was <laughs> it was <laughs> it was a spiritual experience <laughs> 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 I got I it was smoking weed and, and drinking Hennessy on a, on a Saturday morning like at nine a.m. or something. I sit over at a friend's <laughs> and uh, and we're, we're we're just walking through the neighborhood, 
and then we turn a corner and you know it hits me right like uh, you know all the chemicals uh gets this reaction in my brain and i remember distinctly stopping and then like grabbing my friend's shoulder and asking him if he really understood how i felt right now at this moment like do you like do you <laughs> get that like it was the most amazing experience of my life that i've ever been through um you know, all those feelings, if you've, if you've been to uh, 12 step meetings, they talk about the promises and all those promises came true in that instant, you know, yep. uh, but for, but for me, it wasn't like a, um, like all on full on aerial assault pursuit of getting high and drinking after that. Um, it took, a, it took a while, you know, like I, I really enjoyed drinking and getting high and all that, but um, it wasn't the, 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 the abuse in terms of alcohol and drugs didn't really start until I was 20, 21 years old. Um, and so, so my drinking and drugging career was, you know, really looking back, it was only five or six years, uh, which felt like a lifetime when I was in the, in the middle of it. Uh, but looking back, it's, it wasn't really that long at all. Just to fill in the people that don't know the wrestling scene, is it pretty prevalent behind the scenes, the drugs and the alcohol going city to city every single night of the year, you're traveling with that same group. What else do you do yeah. on that? Is that something that was just like acceptable or does it certain sex do it and certain don't, or how did that play out? Yeah. I'm not sure if it's, if it's more or less than, than any other job, any other profession, really. Um, obviously there, there's more of a, I think there's more of a, a risk for abuse because of the nature of the game in terms of the pain that we're in in terms of lack of sleep, in terms of the pressures, in terms of travel and all that kind of crap. Uh, so there's probably more opportunity for abuse, but uh, it's one of those things now where I don't see it at all. Um, but it's, it's so weird how my perspective changes. But when I was in it, that's all I saw. And I'm like, oh, yeah, everybody, you know, everybody does it or like this, this, this is what wrestling's all about. Um, so I don't know if like, everybody stopped doing drugs with me or, <laughs> or, maybe, or maybe I stopped doing drugs and drinking and, uh, and, 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 and the people I hang out with are a little bit different or the scenes where I find myself in terms of, you know, after parties and stuff like that is, is a little bit different. I remember going to my first wedding sober and it was just like, wow, not everybody gets blacked out drunk before the wedding's even. Isn't over. it weird? <laughs> like your whole, yeah, it is. Your whole sure. changes. You think like, I used to go to bars and I thought everybody drank like me in the bars, man. Like, <laughs> and I thought that's what everybody does. And then you're right. You go to a wedding or you go to like a bar for a birthday party or something. And people have like one or two and it's not as loud as it used to be. And, and, and people aren't, uh, you know, it's not, it's, it's not the same. Um, so you, you wonder if you've changed or if everybody else changed. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you, if we're going to dive further into your sobriety, what finally made you realize that there had to be that change? What was the rock bottom in your life? I'm not really sure. I, here's the thing. I knew that I, I felt, I felt the change coming on or I felt something, something was around the corner and really it felt like it was going to be death. Hmm. Uh, and I, 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 I don't know. It was, it was, it was a really strange, uh, moment of time for me for two years before I, uh, I, I, I got uh, sober for good. I tried to quit on my own. And, um, you know, I, I recognized that drugs and alcohol were the problem in my life. And so I would make it a conscious decision not to use drugs and alcohol. Sometimes I would last three, eight, 
three days. Sometimes I last seven days. Or one time I last ten days uh, without drugs and alcohol. And I was sober. And my, But it was funny because my definition of sober <laughs> isn't my definition of sober now. <laughs> where, where my definition of sober then was like... Um, I still I still drank, smoked weed, and took Xanax. Um, <laughs> but 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 as long as I wasn't taking those 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 opiates, then I was sober, you know, in my head. Um, yeah, I, so, I, I, was, I went down that road as well, Zach. When I first got <laughs> sober, I dropped the alcohol and said I was sober, but I was still smoking weed every day. <laughs> I actually had to change my sobriety date because of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's common. Yeah. I, I, I've definitely I've talked to people who, who went through that experience before, you know, and I I think that's great, and I think that's great that you share that because you might be helping somebody who's in that position now, you know. Right. Yeah, I thought um, for sure I was one hundred percent sober. It's like, what? Weed's not a drug. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim was like, "You better take a better look at that." <laughs> yeah. Or you might want, and it's to. Funny you how, might want to. And it's funny now how the mind works. I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about taking like these, um, taking these, uh, like going to like the Amazon or something and, and doing like these psychedelics, like local psychedelic spiritual retreat trips or whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, would that change my sobriety day? Like, like <laughs> yeah, that thought runs through your head. <laughs> Yeah, could I go on a crazy psychedelic like mushroom trip and then like, but in, but in the name of like of growing towards my higher power, <laughs> like would that, would that qualify? You know, uh, but it, I mean that's still how my brain works, man. Um, it's just how we're wired. Yeah, yeah, and that's all right. I, uh, but yeah, so I so I would quit drinking and using drugs on my own, and I would last three to ten days. Uh, but my life got considerably worse. I, I was I was so uncomfortable in my own skin that I had to do something about it. So I would inevitably come up with a scenario where it was okay for me to start taking drugs and drinking again. Um, and inevitably, it always ended with, or it always uh, concluded with this saying, which is, this time it'll be different. And that's the lie I told myself. And that kind of dives right into where, like, so you finally admitted you couldn't do it on your own. By doing the research on you, it looks like you uh, asked for some help from the WWE to get you into a rehab facility. That, yeah, thank God. Was that the game changer? Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm so grateful that I was able to do my first, you know, 28 days in a facility and then the next six months in a three-quarter house, a structured living, you know, sober home. Um in 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 Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is the recovery capital of the world, it has the most. <laughs> it has the most. It's funny. It has the most recovered people per capita in the entire, like per city, you know, in the city in, in the world. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, and so there's in terms of meetings, morning, noon, and night. Great public transportation because I didn't have a car, I didn't have a job, I didn't have any money. And so I was just in a, I was very fortunate to be thrown in a situation where I could just focus solely on my recovery. How you old know? were you when you got sober? Uh, 26, turning 27. And by that point, by working that program, that three-quarter way, how long did you stay in the three-quarter house for? I was there for six months, and then, and then me and a buddy uh, from the house, we got our own apartment. And I was in that apartment for like 
two years, I think. And then my girlfriend got pregnant and then we moved in and then now we're engaged with another kid. So we have, we have our own, uh, little house and a four year old and a 11 month old and, and, uh, living the dream. Cool. You're doing the family thing now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a dad. (laughs) You got the minivan? No, I got the SUV though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it was funny. I was dropping my kid off at the preschool a couple of days ago, and I saw the the minivan with the the dual sliding doors, the uh, dual automatic sliding doors. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that would be so great because it's, <laughs> because because when you when you're shuttling kids around, it's all about opening those back doors and having them bang into different cars and shopping carts and stuff. And I'm like, how convenient would these automatic sliding doors be? You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Yeah. How your goals have changed, huh? Oh yeah. It's, I don't, it's so great. Cause I just don't care anymore. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a, it's a, it's a spiritual screw it. Where I'm just like, I don't care what clothes I wear. I don't care what I drive. You know, like I'm not interested in impressing anybody. And it's a really, it's a, it's a very liberating feeling, you know? Um, and there's the, that, that struggle or that fight is gone, you know, where, uh, where I'm like, you know, I have to drive this car and I have to make this amount of money and I have to like hmm. have this behind my name. So people think I'm, important or good or something you know and it's just it's it's a really it's a it's a much easier way to go through life i found and i'm and i'm so grateful for that i really really am is your number one thing then still before the fiance and the children sobriety has to remain number one or it all goes away pretty quickly i would assume correct yeah it it does and think i you know my my sobriety date has never changed um but i've also never relented on uh my pursuit of of recovery and my pursuit of working towards uh you know my evolution of working towards uh my in my relationship with god um and uh and so i i and so it it's one of those things where i believe everything they say where they say all right well you stop going to meetings and then you stop showing up you stop calling your sponsor and all this stuff. And then before you know it, you start taking your will back and then you start thinking your own ideas are good. And, and, and I, and I, I, I've never walked down that path, but I believe it to be true. But, but I, I do it. Uh, I do this stuff selfishly in terms of, I, I don't do it out of knowledge of like, Oh, if I don't, I'm going to start drinking again. I do it because if I don't do it, I feel like shit. Um, and it's like, I don't, I see myself as, uh, I have, I have two options. I can be sober and miserable, um, or I can be sober and happy. And in terms of where I'm at today, I'm, I'm sober and happy. But what I do notice is that when parts of self start taking over, and I start getting uncomfortable and I start getting um, squirrely and I start, you know, feeling uncomfortable in my own skin and I get restless and irritable. There's, there's like one thing that saves me and that's connecting with another alcoholic. Like that's the all, like I'm batting a thousand with that. <laughs> right. You know, I, I like, I haven't struck out once, 
Now, that's not to say that I'll look for other things, other solutions first, you know, like I'll start diving into like, you know, pornography or, or a box of Krispy Kremes or I'll start planning my revenge or having conversations with people that aren't there. I'll do all of that first. And then once I realize that 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 hasn't helped at all, <laughs> then I'll start reaching for the tools and I'll, I'll start getting a spiritual answer. But it's just it's, it's so great that there's like this. Um, it, the, 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 the program of recovery and the 12 steps haven't failed me once, mm-hmm. you know. And then, and, and so to me, it's just like, there's like this, there's a living, breathing program of action. And there's certain things that, that I do to get certain results. And it's, it's been 1000% consistent for me. And so I, I, I work it because it works. Not, not because of, I think to myself, well, if I don't, then I'm going to start drinking again. Absolutely. Drinking, but was less a but a symptom of our problems for sure. Do you feel you're doing 12 step work every time you go into a high school and speak to a bunch of juniors and seniors about the embark on life? That's got to be just rewarding in its own right to be a public speaker. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Oh my God. Yeah. I'd love to that. And to me, it's really awesome because it is 12 step work, but then everything is 12 step work to me. It's, it's awesome because when I first got sober, I, I can, I compartmentalized my life where I had my recovery over here. I had my family right here. And then way over there, I had my work stuff. And then next to that, I had my relationships with my friends and all of that stuff. And the longer I've been sober and the more work I've done in terms of uh, the recovery community and helping, helping new guys uh, on their journey, the more that the recovery has blood into every aspect of my life. Hmm. Um, And it's not a coincidence that my life is, a billion times better than it was. I don't, I don't think it is. In terms of uh, public speaking being 12-step work, it absolutely is because what I'm doing is I'm sharing my experience, strength, and hope, and I'm doing it in a very colorful and entertaining way. Uh, and what I'm doing is, is I'm carrying a message by doing that. And I believe I'm carrying God's message without explicit, explicitly going up there and saying, I'm carrying God's message because that, <laughs> that well, well, that the school wouldn't like that, and then the, and then the kids would obviously, you know, you know, not like that. They would, they would, they would tune out right away. But, but even you know, even go, going grocery shopping with my kids, even professional wrestling um, in front of that audience, even working with other professional wrestlers, young guys who who are trying to come up in the business, you know going grocery shopping and then having a conversation with the, with the, with the checkout lady and making a, an honest and real connection there being present enough to, to make that connection there. That's carrying the message. That's 12 step work. So I, I look at, I look at my whole life as an opportunity to do 12 step work. Um, and that's kind of how, that's kind of my, my, my approach to life now. And it wasn't like intentional. It's just something that kind of happened. Uh, and I'm, I'm really glad it did. You touched on it earlier. It's kind of like those promises coming true on a daily basis. It really is. Um, it really is. And then, but I won't notice it until I have this conversation with you guys, where I talk about it. Mm. Uh, because I'll just got, I'll just got, kind of go through life, and then and then do what I do and not really give it much thought. Um, so I, so I I need to because I I forget I I. Uh, I forget. I forget everything. 
Um, and so I need, I need these constant like touchstones where along my path, I check in with a sponsee or I check in with my sponsor. Or I talk about recovery with you guys, or I go to a meeting, um, or I do something or I pray, meditate. I mean, these are things that I do throughout the day to put my life in a perspective and to put me into a, uh, a, a useful mode, you know, not sack mode, but a useful mode. And, uh, <laughs> these are things I need to do. I love that disclaimer. It's, it's not a, it's not a Zach mode. It's a useful mode. Yeah. No, no, listen, man, I'm a, <laughs> I'm, I'm a, I'm a mess on my own. <laughs> I have, I have idea, like my whole entire life, I've had all of these ideas and they've all been like the worst ideas for me that you could ever imagine. And, you know, but, but I, I'll still go back to them and be like, you know what? Maybe this time it'll be different. Maybe this, <laughs> maybe, hey, maybe this is a great idea. Let's pursue this hard. You know, and yeah. of course I'm like, I'll never learn my lesson. I'll never. This one has to be good. It was written on a napkin. It's gotta be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is a sign from God. <laughs> My sponsor always said my best thinking got me here, you know, so I'll let someone else do it. That's dude. And that's it. And then even in recovery, um, I'll start having ideas and I'll start thinking again that I, that I have good ideas and, and I'll find myself in really sticky situations, especially early on in sobriety, mm-hmm. made a ton of mistakes. Um, and, uh, and, and going through those mistakes, you know, I, I hit lows, in my early sobriety that were, that were lower than even when I was actively using and drinking. Um, and, uh, I'm like, wow, this is, this is terrible, you know, but looking back and then seeing, you know, my sponsor always says, you know, look for the opportunity for growth, you know, and finding that opportunity for growth, I, I became a much better person for it. My ideas definitely got me here. Uh, and my ideas will continue, I think, to keep me here. Um, and that's why, you know, I have a daily reprieve. Um, that's why this, this isn't a cure and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a daily reprieve. And that's it. So I, I need these reminders and these touchstones, you know, throughout my day to keep me kind of in a place where I'm useful and uh, I have purpose. And the best part that I've found when doing the research about you, Zach, that you keep stressing over and over again in your Twitter feed is that there is a solution that you do have to put in work if you want to keep this up. And I couldn't agree more with that one-day-at-a-time concept of doing the work every single day. And I just read over your tweets and over and over again, it's that repeating theme that there is a solution out there. And it's so important for people to realize that you may be in a bad spot right now, but believe me, if you put in the work, there is a solution out there for us. Yeah, and I think I say that, and I 1,000% agree with you. I a thousand percent agree with me. <laughs> um, but I, I, I put that out there a lot because for so long, I felt like I was the only one in the world who felt like how I felt. And I remember the immense relief when I went into treatment. And even though the names and the faces and the substances were different, we all had the same thing, quote unquote. Mm. And I remember thinking, Wow, you think like me. You 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 did the same actions as I did. This is this is I felt it was it was the most incredible feeling of my life. Um to know that I wasn't alone. Hmm. And I wasn't alone in my misery. And I wasn't alone in in terms of like, you know, because the question I asked myself every single day for a while was I'd wake up first thing in the morning and I'd ask myself 
what's wrong with me? Like, hmm. what is wrong with me? Why do I keep doing this? And um, when I went to treatment and I was hanging out with some other alcoholics and addicts, I got my answer as to what was wrong with me. And the answer is that I'm an alcoholic and I'm a drug addict. And with that answer, there was, there was, a, there was a hope for a solution because there's a program of action. Uh, and so with that program of action kind of placed in front of me, there was a lot of uh, immense feeling of hope. Um, and it was, it was a feeling that I don't know if I've ever experienced before in my life. So here's what I want. I want someone like me who, who feels like they're alone out there, who feels like there's no hope. I want them to experience that hope that I was, that I felt because it's not something I deserved or I worked towards or I, you know, got because, um, you know, I'm incredibly talented, handsome, and useful, <laughs> and a great singing voice. And all, 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 all of that is true. And drive an it, SUV. It, 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 yeah, but it was just, it was really just, it was a gift, you know, by by God's grace. And I, I want I want to be able to provide that for as many people or for anybody who wants it or needs it, you know. With those feelings of isolation that that you had, even though you were what a lot of people would, would consider to be in a pinnacle situation. Is that the message that you take to the high schools and, and to the, to whoever else? I mean, it's, I'm sure you speak to more than just high schools, but is it, what's the message that you take um, to, to the groups of people that you talk with? Can, can you give us just a, a rundown on that? Oh yeah. And, and really it's, it's all, I learned it all in from the uh, 12 steps. I talk about how, uh, and we touched on it earlier about action, about uh, taking, like, because my whole life, I, I gave so much power to everybody else. Uh, like, I looked at my life and that's a really terrible way to go through life. And so, really, the, uh, the the main theme of my of my keynotes and my workshops um, is that life isn't about what happens to us. Life is about how we respond to what happens to us, and it's about the actions that we take. Um, and through our actions, uh, we can navigate through any situation and come out better for it. Um, you know. You know, like I, and it's about kind of taking off that that veil of victimhood. You know, um, it's like, all right, well, you know, uh, I have cancer. I have one this, or, uh, or 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 this happened to me, or or I'm alone, or I'm gay, or I'm straight, or, or I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm enough. All these feelings, and I, and I went through all those feelings, um, and, uh, and so I, I know I know the pain, the isolation. Um, I also know the amount of action that can be taken to alleviate all of that, and to turn whatever quote unquote terrible situation is happening, and then turn that into the most positive force in your life, and a, a, a springboard for building. The, the, a life that you never thought was possible, um, and and that's the message that, that I carry these kids, and that's the problem that I see. You know, a, lo- a lot of people are walking around as victims, and mm. to me, and that's what I did for a long time. And to me, that that feels like a waste of life. We have the gift of life, 
And I, th I think we can tap into it and exploit that gift for much more than what we're doing, you know, even as a society. And so I, I try to uh, I, I try to carry that message. And it is a great message that you're sharing with everybody, Zach. And we can't thank you enough for joining us on This Is Not A Meeting. Uh, is there any way or you can let us know if our listeners are interested where they can learn more about you? Can you throw that out there for us? Sure. Go to my website, ZachGowan.com. And then uh, if you want to interact, there's a contact button on there or uh, any any and all social media platforms at Zach Gowan. Uh, all one word is uh, is where I'm at. I'm easy, real easy to get a hold of. Please reach out. I also tell these kids, too, I, I, the power of reaching out and asking for help. The words that I'm scared and I don't know what to do saved my life. And, uh, and I tell these kids all the time, you know, reach out if you're struggling. You're not alone. Trust me on that. There's a solution. Trust me on that. Reach out. Ask, you know, to a teacher, to a parent, to a friend, uh, to a counselor. Reach out to me if you want to. But just reach out and then right. a, a solution. It uh, will present itself. And uh, so please reach out to me if you need to. Be happy to answer any and all questions. Appreciate the uh, the interest. Again, thanks, guys. Thanks a lot, Zach. Hey, thanks, Zach. We really appreciate it. Talk soon. And thanks again to Zach for an awesome interview. One of our most proud podcasts for sure so far to date. And if you found anything inspirational or motivational during Zach's interview, by all means, follow up with him. Head to his website, ZachGowan.com. You can find his documentary there, which goes a lot more into detail about his battle of cancer and how he got to that next level of the professional wrestling career. He also has merchandise available on that website. He has T-shirts, wristbands, the DVD, as I mentioned. He can also be reached on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. The greatest part about Zach, he is a celebrity, but he's reachable. He's transparent. So if you are struggling and you need some tips on how to create a solution for yourself, definitely reach out to Zach. He's a good, solid dude to follow. And the other thing we want to let you know is that the links to all of this stuff, everything we've talked about, is going to be on our webpage for the podcast. And that is at thisisnotameeting.com forward slash 011. Uh, that's number 11, 011. So that'd be thisisnotameeting.com forward slash 011. You can find all of the links to this. You can get more information about Zach. Uh, we're going to have some links to a couple of videos uh, that, that were done about him. He's a really super guy. We, we truly appreciate him taking out the time to talk with us today. So, Zach, thank you very much. Uh, thank you also to Gregory Iron, who was sitting right next to him the entire time and letting him speak uh, <laughs> as they traveled back from having won the tag team title belts. Everybody else, thank you for listening. Uh, please go to the website. Please go to the Facebook page. Subscribe to us if you haven't already so that we can get these episodes to you every Tuesday when they come out fresh. Get out there today. Have fun. Make a difference. We love you. Thanks, guys. <laughs>